You're listening to the newest Market Side Chat, presented by The Millennial Investor. Today, Inspire 11, a digital management consulting firm, is the fastest growing company in Chicago. Yet 20 years ago, founder Alba Mimetti and his brother Luke had a lot more on their minds than running a business. Back then, they were running from armed conflict in their native country of Kosovo. With a stroke of luck, the Mimetti family found themselves on a plane to Michigan City, Indiana, where the brothers' success stories began. After learning English and excelling in school, Albin and Luke both received the prestigious Evans Scholarship, which is a full housing and tuition-based college scholarship awarded to academically focused golf caddies with financial need. On today's episode, we'll be chatting with them about how their unlikely story has contributed to their success in the consulting and private equity fields. But first, a word from our sponsor. Hey, Brian, what you reading? Oh, just a finance magazine. Hey, you lost me in finance. I can give you my dad's email, though, if you want to talk to him about it. <laughs> yeah, it's really cool, though. It's called The Millennial Investor and has a bunch of insightful equity research that I've started to base my portfolio around. Plus, it's written in terms that we can actually understand. Huh, that's pretty cool. Mind if I take a look? Sure. Hey, keep it. I have a digital copy, too. The Millennial Investor magazine. In the mail or online, July 19th. For more information, visit www.themillennialinvestor.co. How's it going, everyone? My name's Eric Lane, and today I'm joined by my co-hosts, Jack Boyd, Hunter Saxon, and Cord Callahan for our first episode of Marketside Chats. We couldn't be more excited to launch this podcast, especially with the two really special guests that we have here today. Uh, so without further ado, we'd love to welcome Albin and Luke Mametti onto the first episode of Market Side Chats. Guys, thanks for coming on to the show. Thank you for having us. Yeah, we really appreciate it. So, um, you know, Albin, I, I've known you for a while. And, you know, Luke, I, I've gotten to know you through Albin for about a year now. But um, maybe if you could, you know, provide a little color about your, your background. Absolutely. Um, I'll go first. Since I'm way older than yeah. Luke, yeah. So, uh, so I thank you guys for having us. Obviously, very exciting. Um, the uh, Luke, Luke and I are both. Uh, our family were immigrants from uh, Eastern Europe. We were born and raised in Kosovo. Uh, and back in the day, back in 1999, there was a war there, uh, and we ended. Up, we found ourselves obviously uh, just kind of on the streets, and ended up crossing over to the border of Macedonia which is now known as North Macedonia officially mm-hmm. and ended up in a camp uh, called Tankovet too, actually. And while we were there, our parents had this desire to specifically our mom, but both of our parents to get us to somewhere where one, it was safe uh, two that, that we could pursue education. That was the big thing that we both grew up with, uh, with uh, being like, like a guiding light for us, right? Always say, Hey, go pursue the highest level education you possibly can. And so when an opportunity arose for uh, us to enter the lottery system in the, in the camp, uh, our mom picked America as the first place. I think the second place was like New Zealand or Australia. And the third place was uh, Germany. And uh, I remember like today with uh, watching the little, they would come out at uh, every Tuesday or Wednesday or something. And they the lottery people would essentially post up the names of people that got selected to leave the camp wow. and end up wherever they end up. Yeah. That's incredible. So uh, our name showed up to come to the U.S., which was in 1999. So we landed here just five days ago. It was 21 years ago. 
Wow. So June 25th, 1999. Congratulations on that. That's huge. Well, thanks for having us, guys. We didn't, yeah. know, it. We didn't know it at the time how big of a blessing it was, but it was the greatest thing ever. So, so we ended up in, in, in Northwestern Indiana. Uh, I'll make a super long story short. Obviously, we came here. Uh, family sponsored us, but, you know, we were the, the folks. We didn't have anything. We came uh, picked blueberries for a living, and then we got introduced to the game of golf, but really not the golf, but the caddy. And that's where we both ended up. Yeah. And so w- with caddying, I know the, you know, the Evans scholarship has had a, you know, a pretty profound impact on your, both your professional lives and, you know, achieving that uh, golden light you mentioned and, you know, um, get, getting, you know, a higher education. Um, so it may, maybe if you guys wanted to talk about, uh, you know, your experience with the Evans, the, the impact it had on you and, um, you know, how you sit with the organization today. Yeah, I, so, um, you know, when you, when, when you grow up where we grew up, right, the third world country, essentially, we didn't even know what the game of golf was at the time. And so when we got, when we got driven to the course, I remember being like, what is this? Yeah. Um, what what caddying does for us in general, which is why I love the, the, what the Western Golf Association, uh, meaning the Evans College Foundation, does with this, is they, they're big proponents of junior caddying. You learn life lessons on the golf course that you would never learn anywhere else, right? Yeah. One, it's a game of discipline, and it's a game of etiquette, and it's a game of, of patience. And, 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 and so as a caddy, you get to be alongside and learn these life skills, but alongside some of the most successful people you'll ever meet specifically where we were and it was intimidating at the same time. And, and what, what happened is because of the caddying, we learned all these skills and we were doing okay in school. We got to apply for the Evans Scholars Foundation and, or the scholarship. And, and the Evans Scholarship really changes your perspective on life because one, you realize, okay, hard work can get you places and obviously studying hard and everything that goes with it. Yeah. But two, you become part of this greater body of really hardworking kids that are all on the same page. And, and part of the Evans Scholars Front uh, deal, by the way, if you guys didn't know, is, you know, it, you have to have, you have to show financial need. Mm-hmm. Uh, so it, essentially it really takes you like we, there's this experience we all talk about the day you find out that you got the Evans scholarship is like the most exciting day of your life. Like they send this big envelope if you can imagine, you know, our parents were living in Section 8 housing, and it's this thing like, hey, you just got a free ride to college. Uh, it's a super emotional day. And so you go to school, and you, you've really changed our perspective forever. And, you know, I'll fast forward, but it had such a lasting impact on both of us that I, I now am, obviously, we both contribute uh, 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 time and, uh, and money to it. But two, I've become a WGA director for the reason of honestly to protect junior caddying and to make sure we continue to expand the Evans scholarship because it truly changed our lives. Yeah. So Luke, is there any particular person that you'd like to give a little shout out to right now? You know, whether they're involved in the Evans scholarship or not, but that you can definitely say had a big impact on your professional career. Yeah, sure. I think, um, you know, I mean, a, a good one, the, the, the most profound one, Anyway, is uh, is Bill Kingler? You know what what he did for for me and for Alvin um, and for a lot of other people now is you know a big part of the, the scholarship, right? Is it, most people think of that as you know you think money, you think tuition benefits, 
and even housing benefits, right? Because it's a full ride. But that's, you know, that's just the beginning, right? What, what guys like Bill have done, um, and there are others along the way, is, uh, you know, they make introductions. They teach you what comes afterwards, right? Because, I mean, college is just the start of the rest of your life. Yeah. And it's supposed to catapult you. And I think where a lot of other programs stop is, is you know, at graduation. Mm-hmm. And the special thing about this program and the special thing about people like, like Bill Kingler and others is that that's when they really, you know, start to help you. And they see you through interviews and, you know, chance meetings. And they invite you to events. And they, you know, get you to network with other people. And I think, you know, stuff like that, it sounds like buzzwords yeah. to you know, people our age sometimes. Mm-hmm. But um, it's something that you don't realize the impact of until years later when you look back and you think, you know, I mean, think about us being on your show today, right? Like mm-hmm. a lot of chance encounters along the way. Uh, introductions made by people like Bill Kingor. You get Albin, uh, you know, in the golf. Yeah. Uh, to meet people like the Boyd family, right? I mean, it's all connected like this. And, uh, you know, everybody in the Evans Scholarship Network, mm-hmm. their first thing is we need to get people through school. And their second thing is we need to follow them throughout the rest of their lives and make sure they're doing okay and connect them all together and kind of help and expand the network. Um, so, you know, it's just it's just a wonderful thing. And people like Bill King or... or you know, a guy by the name for me of John Pratt, who gave me my first job out of college. Mm-hmm. Um, a woman named Mary Petrovich, who's a who's a pretty well known uh, Evans Scholar alum, who helped get me my next job. Right? It's just a it's just a tale of of you know really great solid connections um, all through this alumni program. Yeah, and I think that's you know especially shown uh, with your track, Luke. Um, if you kind of want to talk about how. I know you, you, you majored in engineering, was it, in Northwestern? Yep, that's right. Yeah, yep. and then and then you went into investment banking after. Um, and you were also involved with the Pre-Medical Society, I believe, and um, a couple other organizations on campus. Yeah, that's right. So I think, yeah, I think this also goes back to, you know, what you were saying earlier, Jeff. Yeah. I kind of felt, you know, it's ironic that you would say that, um, you know, you you guys kind of felt maybe even a little intimidated by, you know, some of the people uh, on the other side of the table. You know, those people on the other side of the table, I guess, as an engineering major, like I was there. Um, yeah. You know, you, you, we I felt equally intimidated, right? I mean, I had never done anything mm-hmm. in the finance world. Um, it all was new to me. I didn't know what banking was. You know, I, I, I said everybody I talked to, I thought investment banking was like, I pictured like bank tellers, you know? Yeah. And I thought maybe it did a little more than process change. Um, I just had no idea. And I, I, I think the great thing is that all college kids um, should should feel encouraged that, you know, these finance jobs and, and um, you know, investing and all, right? Like they're not looking necessarily for a particular major or a particular track, or even a particular qualification, I think they just look for, you know, people who are willing to work hard, and people who are thoughtful, and people who are, you know, sociable, uh, um, and and really just have a great work ethic, right? And so, my path, you know, junior year of college, um, I, I hadn't had an internship, I was still completely engrossed in engineering and pre-med, 
Mm-hmm. And uh, through a couple of chance encounters with the Evan Scholarship, you know, I landed, you know, basically one interview, uh, ended up getting the job and took that job after college in investment banking in Chicago at Merrill Lynch. Um, did that for two years. And then again, a couple a couple more chance encounters. And I got a job um, at Carlisle in Washington, D.C. I did that for two years. And then now I just went to graduate school. But I think I think the the moral really is, um, you know, whether you are a liberal arts major or an engineering major or a finance major, like what it ultimately comes down to is, is you know, who you are, yeah. how hard you're willing to work. Um, and, and all the rest kind of falls away, especially once, once you have your first job. Yeah. Thank you for that insight, Luke. Now you also just mentioned that you got your MBA. Yeah. Yep. That's right. A month ago, a month ago today. Congrats, man. That's awesome. Yeah. Thank you. So what kind of doors do you feel like that's going to open for you? Yeah. You know, I was actually reflecting on this a couple of days ago, uh, because I kind of did it begrudgingly at the beginning. And I, I'm sure a lot of your listeners, you know, are either considering grad school for the future uh, or, or, you know, even for the more immediate term. And I think, you know, it's kind of daunting when you first look at it and you kind of feel like maybe you're going to just go to the bench for a couple of years and, uh, you know, just go back to school and kind of, you know, you feel like maybe you're losing time. But I think, you know, we were just on a trip and I was hanging out with, with a couple of the guys that um, were in my class. Uh, and, I'm starting to realize like just how many connections have been made through that experience. And even more so than college, like, you know, if you, if you go to get your MBA or, or really anything graduate school, it's a little more focused and there's, there's a little more homogeneity in terms of, you know, interests and, and where people are from and what they're looking to do. And I think that amplifies the network benefits. And so, you know, as far as looking into the future, Again, I think I can only guess, um, but even just looking at the number of relationships that have come out of it now and seeing, you know, some of the cool things that classmates have banded together to do is just incredible. I mean, it's kind of like you guys, right? Yeah. Think about how you came, how you all met each other. Absolutely. Yeah. That just amplifies even more. And so um, I'm really excited for the future and I, you know, I'm not going to rush it, but I can't wait to see what comes out of all these all these various relationships. Yeah, a hundred percent. And so, uh, kind of circling back to Albin and um, and his career progression. So I know Albin, you kind of uh, took a little different path from your brother. You, you stayed at, you studied at uh, Indiana, majoring in informatics, I believe. Yep. 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 Yeah. And then um, you went and you went and consulting for a little bit um at a couple of different firms maybe do you want to talk about kind of like how you got your job prospects and if the evans had any impact on that or and kind of like where it led you today at inspire 11 absolutely so uh <clears throat> i was uh so before i even graduated i i i was very much entrepreneurial minded so i was like i'm gonna start my own company yeah and one of the one of the mentors i had met through the evans program uh you know the older wiser gentleman who would become a, a good buddy of mine is like alvin you can't start your own company until you learn how big companies run you need mm-hmm. to go work for somebody yeah so i was like all right <laughs> so i i joined hitachi consulting i had a couple options the reason i went to hitachi at the time and i think it's 
for people to think about this stuff is when you get out of school and Luke touched on this and you guys are going to see this, no matter what you learn in school, unless you're a doctor, maybe, um, like you're still not prepared for the world, right? So you try to go, I think the first job, the thing you want to do is you're, you want to go somewhere where they're going to invest in teaching you things, right? Because you really just don't know how things work. So I went to Hitachi because it had Hitachi Consulting because it had this crazy curriculum about bringing you up to speed. Uh, two years there, I, I, I got a little bit uh, discouraged by the, by the crazy structure they had put in place to move up in the org, which was fine because it's a large organization. So I got an opportunity that came up my way, which was to help build this company called Slalom. Uh, and at the time, I was, I don't know, I think 24 and no risk. And I remember calling that same mentor from the Evans world and going, hey, what do you think? He's like, well, it sounds like you get to start your business without the risk of starting your business. So go do it. So I ended up going there. It was me and five other guys in, in our practice anyway. The company was slightly bigger, but our practice of digital uh, uh, at the time was super small. And I stayed there for six years and I got to do some, actually maybe seven. I got to do some crazy things at a young age. And it was because my field of technology and digital in general, like that was a passion of mine. I, I learned how to code when I was, uh, when I moved to America and I didn't have a lot of friends and I was sitting at home a lot. Um, so ended up having a little bit of an edge. So when we got the opportunity to build this practice. I, I think we took it from what was at the time, less than a million run rate. And by the time I left, it was about 200 million. Wow. Um, and in the process learned a lot. Uh, and so, so, I, I think Jack, you know this, but there was a point where I was like, "Why aren't we doing this on our own?" So mm-hmm. I, <laughs> so I resigned, and I took all the all the dollars I had saved, and we put it in this our current company, Inspire Eleven. But I'll tell you this: Evan Scholars made Inspire what it is today because my first big client was an Evan Scholar. And never would I have thought that, you know, Luke, Luke was talking about chance meetings, that the, the guy, his name is Tom Hughes, uh, ended up who I, I, I lived in the Evans Scholar house with and, you know, was friends with. Yeah. Not like super close, but like, you know, everybody's close in the house. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, 10 years later becomes our biggest client that changes our company trajectory. And he actually now works here. We own a company together because since we've done some other stuff, but it was, uh, I was in Europe trying to build our offshore operation yeah. with my business partner. Mm-hmm. And Tom kept calling me. And I'm like, why is Tom calling me? <laughs> so I wouldn't even answer his phone. And Luke sends me an email. He goes, Tom has something good for you. You should answer your phone. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, Tom, you know, gave us this, introduced us to this company that we ended up having a really good relationship with and, and, and they did really well because of it. And so did we, but it really changed our trajectory. And this Evans thing sneakily keeps getting involved in our lives in yeah. ways that I would have never thought was possible. Yeah, absolutely. And, and, and kind of give um, our viewers a little more color on your firm. So if I'm not mistaken, you, you recently ranked number two as one of the fastest growing companies in, in the Midwest, right? That's, that's correct. Yes. You know, it started out with two of us. We now have 200 people, three offices in the U.S., two offshore, and continue to grow. Obviously, COVID has put a little bit of a, a pause on the growth. <laughs> yeah. But, uh, no, it's been it's been a crazy fun ride. So, uh, going off that, uh, I have a question. Uh, 
As we know, Inspire 11 is a consulting firm mainly focused on uh, digital solutions. And we've also been doing a lot of research on Zoom lately. We just had a call with their investor relations team two days ago, I believe. Uh, how do you see yeah. the office place changing over the next two, uh, few years? Oh man, it's a, that's a that's a great question. Um, you know, so I, I'll, I'll I'll put a plug for our company because I do think we're ahead of our time, and I think I think COVID has been this big wake up. Um, so if you would have gone to our website in October, and this is when it went live, we have this whole thing about nothing in the world is normal, which is to say that um, we we accept organizational structures and organ and how organizations operate today as a as a normal thing, but it really isn't. It's a, it's a lot of outdated ways of running companies. And I say that probably to anybody, like you give me any fortune 1000 company, I can find most of them at the top that it's, it's, it's run in an outdated model. And it's the ways that the old GE used to be run, which I don't agree with. And so our whole thing was nothing we do is normal. And guess what? Here comes this global pandemic that convinces everybody that digital transformation is not like a nice to have it's essential, right? Like the world is going to operate differently. So how do I think the new world will be? I don't have all the answers. I do think our offices are going to change. I do think working from anywhere, not working from home, working from anywhere is going to become the new norm. Not for everybody, right? Having leadership teams in the same room together is extremely important. But I think the world as we used to know it will have some sense of the old normal, but I think you're going to see a brand new normal that very much resembles the world we've been talking about, which is connected systems, connected people, not in the same place. Yeah, it's crazy. Like we're seeing companies, you know, like Facebook, Square, Twitter, and they're also just starting to completely go remote. And uh, the efficiency seems to like, you know, be maintaining itself. But um, it's just a completely like new way of life. Yeah, it, it is. Yeah, we've been talking about it a lot. Um, you know, kind of just like in our internal de deliberations about what investments we should go with. And, you know, at, at the end of the day, I, I think it, you know, if you look at a lot of these companies that, you know, lease 100,000 square feet of office space in, in New York City, and, you know, they're making the realization that, you know, their lower level employees can do the job 80% just as efficiently from home. Um, and yep. if it comes down to the cost of a zoom license to the, you know, cost of a person in the square footage of an office, I think it's going to be a no brainer for a lot of companies. It is. Um, and, and I'll give you one, so a couple more things. And, and I, by the way, I think Morningstar just announced that they're going fully, fully, uh, no office. Yeah. Um, here, here, here's the world that, that now we live in, which I think is going to create a lot of opportunity. Mm -hmm. You used to be in the place where essentially having iron, and what I mean by that, having data centers gave you uh, advantage, right? Because if you are, for example, a giant financial institution and you store a ton of data and all of a sudden, like you guys doing this podcast, go, I'm going to start a financial services institution. People would have been like, you can't because you need to make, I don't know, a $100 million investment on a data center just to protect your data. Yeah. Well, today you can do that for pennies on the dollar. Yeah. One. Two, you don't longer need office space. Right. And you, you actually never needed it. And three, you've got to figure out the culture piece a little bit because you cannot have, right. Like there's gotta be a little bit of a cadence where people get together to share ideas and everything, but there's this like flow of work where it can happen from anywhere, which drives some crazier ideas. So what I think you're going to see, which is what happened at the last recession is at the last recession, Airbnb was born. And so were many other companies. 
And they're born out of times when things go, when things happen like this pandemic, some of the greatest ideas come to light, which actually makes the Fortune 1000 vulnerable, right? Because you can, you can go after their market space because they're stuck with expensive infrastructure, right? Like without naming any specific organizations that I don't want that on the record, but (laughs) I can tell you there are some Fortune 500 companies out there that have so much real estate and infrastructure that they're never going to be able to get out of it. And a couple guys like you can put together an organization and go after their market share overnight. Yeah. And, and that's, I think, the, is the really exciting thing about, you know, the current environment that we're in with all this, you know, unpredictability and, and you know, taking advantage of opportunities as they present themselves. And, and, you, and you guys are doing it too, right? Like, you know, yeah. that something you're like, I'm going to pivot. Here's an area that now has new opportunity. And that's, that's, what, that's what's key in world, right? And especially running things is, how quickly can you pivot to the new world? Absolutely. And yeah. uh, Luke, I don't know if you had uh, a- any opinion on this, whether, you know, you kind of see, you know, the same trends that Albin's seeing from the more financial side of things. Yeah, no, that's a, that's a, that's a good question. I think, I think Alvin made some, some really good points. We've been talking about this over the last, you know, a couple months. And yeah. um, I think it's, it's very interesting to kind of look at what's, what's happening in the financial world because you would expect that that would be the last place um, that would go digital because there's this long running, you know, four decade plus culture of people in the office all together thinking that's kind of like the most important thing. I mean, you hear the horror stories, right? About um, investment banking and, and, and all of that culture. And um, they have had the same realization uh, for example, my sister-in-law just, just wrapped up uh, two years in investment banking at, at BAML, mm-hmm. uh, at Bank of America, and they just shipped all of her desk stuff to her. Um, and I think they have gone uh, virtual for at least um, through Labor Day. Yeah. And uh, so all their internships are, are mobile and all. And what's interesting is, you know, just picking her brain and thinking about what they're saying in the group, you know, they're like, productivity hasn't suffered at all right like business is business is great um for me i you know i'm going back to carlisle on july 20th and they've announced uh, nobody in the office at least through labor day uh and that's official and again talking to people at work uh you know people i used to work with and will be working with again they're like this is incredible right at first there was the fear how is this going to work is it going to work what does it mean for our lifestyle and now they're like you know, this is phenomenal. When you look back at how much time was spent uh, between meetings, just kind of killing time between like 1 and 4 p.m., uh, you know, in the morning. They're like, now I can, you know, go work out, go you yeah. know, take care of my kids, be, be whatever it is. And so I think there is this realization, but, you know, and it, and it makes a lot of sense, right? And for me, it's, it's a no-brainer. As I think about how I spent a lot of my time, like most of my work was done you know, after 6 p.m. Uh, as the most junior guy mm-hmm. on the team. And so a lot of that office time was just burned, like, you know, reading articles. I mean, that's what a lot of, I think, white-collar jobs um, have been in this country for a long time. You know, throughout the day, there's a lot of, of time burned. I think there will be pushback, though, mm-hmm. because there are a lot of people in the industry who have been in it for a long time and I think who will look back and think maybe falsely attribute 
their success or their firm's success to, you know, the idea sharing or the corporate environment. And I think, I think there's going to be pushback, but I'm hopeful that like, just like the technology sector did, uh, you know, to finance jobs in the last 15 years where, you know, big tech companies started offering really, really attractive packages to young people, uh, like us and lured them away and kind of made financial firms step up their game, both in terms of like compensation and lifestyle. I think if, if the financial sector, you know, all up and down the spectrum doesn't get it together, right? Like the most talented, the smartest young people like you guys yeah, like are, are just not going to go do it. And so I, I think that's what I'm hopeful for. But I, I really think this is good. We're like on the precipice of a, of a change that we'll look back on for decades and centuries and think like, you know, that was a big inflection point in terms of the way people live and work. Absolutely. And, and you know, we're, we're almost even starting to see it now with, um, you know, the, the kind of inflows and ex- exodus of people, you know, leaving areas like, you know, Chicago, New York, where, you know, high tax rate environments and, um, you know, very, very expensive cities to live in. And, and I think you're seeing, you know, an influx of people going to, you know, places like Nashville or, you know, Savannah, you know, South Carolina, Florida. And I, yeah, I, I mean, I, I think, you know, part of it has to do with the fact that, um, you know, people are, you know, I, I think Facebook, Twitter and Square came out and said that they're working from home permanently um, everyone that's not an executive, they'll have like office space for executives to meet and, and stuff like that. But, um, for, for those companies, a lot of those employees are working home permanently. And I think, you know, there, you're starting to see a, a tangible shift in the, uh, in the residential, uh, space where you get people, you know, moving more so to the, where they want to live and, you know, a, a more hospitable environment than they were currently in, um, working at, you know, whatever job they had. And I think yeah. it's something super interesting to follow and watch. Yeah, no, yeah, I think, I think this is, this is very top of mind for me because, uh, my now wife and I, and Alvin, I'm talking about this, you know, we're moving to DC mm-hmm. for, for, for my job. And we've been looking at places either to rent or buy for a long time. We were thinking we should buy. Um, and I just had this like pit in my stomach yeah. about exactly talking about because you know it's, it's another one of these super super densely populated areas mm-hmm. um and people are i think people are just like fleeing and i think the more that this takes hold this trend the more that people are gonna are gonna leave but again jack like you know the way i think about it like what what's the risk to that thought yeah like there's so much powerful influence and money and lobbying effort uh in real estate and so I think there's gonna you're gonna see this this pull and this push and pull between uh, very powerful people who have a lot at stake in a lot of this real estate that is gonna get taxed. And uh, you know, just like anything else, they're not gonna go down without a fight. Yeah. And so I think it's gonna be interesting. Like I think the real estate market is gonna be one of the most um, interesting places. And I, I have no idea what's gonna happen, but I think it's gonna be one of the most interesting places to be an investor. Yeah, in the next like years, um, both commercial and and residential. Yeah, and, and kind of going off of that, um, I know Albin, you're kind of involved in yeah, you know, you're you have your company management consulting with Inspire Eleven, 
Um, and I know your your company, you know, is specifically focused on a lot of, you know, logistics companies, you know, uh, shipping, trucking, um, and a lot of stuff like that. Um, ha- have you been seeing uh, any, you know, sharp changes and trends uh, in, in that space as we go through this pandemic? Um, nothing, nothing crazy solid yet, other than obviously we have we have this joint venture with uh, with Great Dane, which makes the trailers are one of the largest producers in the country. And and, and um, what's been interesting is the focus on efficiency. So, yeah. uh, which is, hey, how do we leverage more of what we have? Because for a long time, I mean, it, it, you guys know the phrase like uh, we all look like geniuses in a bull market. When things are so great, people just kind of keep going. Nobody watches. You know, if you don't pay as as close attention to health how logistics or how expenses are working or whatever. Yeah. And these are the times that force people to say, Hey, what can we do? And is there tech we can leverage or, or, or whatever we can do to try to streamline and op- optimize operations? Because this is the time where people start tightening their belt a little bit and going, Hey, but nothing, nothing, nothing crazy. I do think I will say this. I, I the, the one big realization though, for, for the country, not us, yeah. In general, is you don't realize how essential our truck drivers and that industry is to getting everything from A to B, right? Like yeah. until these things happen. Yeah, and we we were talking to, um, you know, we we were on the call with, uh, I believe, Dollar General yesterday, um, and just talking about how they're maintaining their supply chains during the, this pandemic, and and they, they they mentioned that you know it, it's hard to get a lot of inventory in there because a, a lot of people are you know pur- purchasing everything out. Well, what'll be will be true too. It'll be fun for for us to see anyway next year. Uh, all these models, right? So a lot of these large organizations have demand planning models that you know you never plan for pandemics. But we got to figure out one of the things we talk to our clients a lot about because we're in that world is how do you then clean up the models next year so that the models don't think it's a pandemic and how do you adjust back? Because one of the things that happens is once people stock up on things, then they don't go back, right? Like, so all of a sudden the shelves are going to stay full. So it's interesting. Kind of sticking with the whole Inspire 11 thing. So uh, when it comes to like Inspire 11 and the Millennial Investor Magazine, you know, which we are producing, I see a lot of like similarities. So looking at a few of the case studies on the Inspire 11 website, I know you uh, mentioned Great Dane recently. Um, I noticed that like when partnering with the companies, uh, Inspire 11's first step is to really get like a deep understanding for like how a company works. And I feel like that's like similar to our company in the sense that like our main goal is to get a really good idea of how a company works so we can, you know, evaluate it better. And how a company makes a dollar essentially. Yeah, how they make their money, things like that. So I guess my question is, um, what yeah. is your process for like building a successful relationship with a company to, to you know, like truly understand how they operate? Um, because I think, you know, you, you do a great job doing that with, you know, your relationship with like companies such as Great Dane. And I think that to be successful, you know, the millennial investor really needs to um, incorporate like a similar uh, philosophy. Yeah. So. So I'm going to just go ahead and first of all, preface with Luke is the finance guru. I'm not a finance guru. I'm more of an, I'm more of a uh, management ops guru, but so here's the thing. Uh, There's, there's some core foundational principles that, that, that you can easily look at to help you how a company runs. We do this sometimes, honestly, for fun. We'll go download um, me and my two business partners. We'll just go download sometimes uh, public, 
publicly traded companies that we don't work with their financial statements and look at and try to deduce what are they doing, right? Like just based on numbers alone. But we get the pleasure to actually get to know companies. And here's what, here's what I know. There's one, is there discipline into organizations to one, having a strategy on what it is that they're going after? And two, are they sticking to their foundational values that they were started with a hundred or whatever many years ago? Because markets change, trends change. Typically, values don't. And what, what, what we look for is, hey, somebody started, for example, Great Dane, you know, decades ago. Have they gotten away from what their North Star is, which is to be the best at what they do and they're going to go above and beyond. They're going to live by these principles and all that, right? I don't, Great Dane has never gotten away from that. They've been one of the most innovative companies in the world for when it comes to in their space. So that's one piece. Two, once you get to know the people, and I, I will tell you if I was sitting in your shoes and if I was going to pick any stock to invest in or in any company, I would look at the leadership team and you look at their track record. I, uh, part of what we do at Inspire 11 is we invest in companies, so startups and joint ventures. The biggest tell for us is the operators, right? Like who's behind the wheel of this thing? Yeah, definitely. And how are they doing, right? So uh, that, I would say those two things are probably the biggest ones, which is do they have the strategy and is it aligned to their values? And then two, who are the operators behind the organization? Short of looking at financials, which then obviously is a lot easier to tell how things are going. Um, I add one more. How, how have they adapted through time, right? Like, uh, you know, the best example I can tell you is we used to fill out a lot of paperwork to do our insurance claims or whatever. And we work, we do a ton of work in healthcare. Have they come along the way of digital uh, adoption and transformation to be able to compete with their competition on whatever it is that they do, right? And so, if they haven't been able to pivot and change with the times, that's a big red flag for us. And in that scenario, we usually help them. But if I was going to pick somebody to invest in, it would not be my first place to go. Yeah. So, you know, during the middle of this pandemic, I'd love to know, are the healthcare companies that you're working with actively looking for new digital solutions from you guys? Or are they just more focused on expanding the infrastructure that they have in place? I think the biggest the biggest trend I've seen there for them is uh, not, especially the really large ones, they weren't prepared for work from home. And what I mean by that is because their infrastructure and just the data that they handle is so sensitive that many times you actually have to be within the four walls of the organization physically plugged in to be able to access the information. That, that has been one area that, you know, they've sticked a lot of help in. And of course, the second piece is how do we, how do we utilize this time now to invest in more to the digital transformation aspect of streamlining operations? Because, well, uh, that's the thing you do during these times when people tighten their belts. Yeah, in tightening our belts, we are. Hey, Luke, Albin, I know you're both very busy men, so we're going to let you get to it. But I think I speak for everyone here at the studio when I thank you for being on the first of many market side chats. We wish you the best of luck, whether it's with Inspire 11 or any other future endeavors you guys might have. Thank you guys for having us. Uh, it was a pleasure, and I'm really excited for what you guys are doing. Can't wait to, can't wait to see it just grow and, and be a big part of our culture. So that's, that's awesome. Yeah, thank you so much for being on. Yeah, have a good one, guys.